Welcome to Under 30, the podcast series by the Youth Partnership that brings the research results, explores trends in young people's lives and themes relevant for youth policy and practice. In this episode, we continue exploring different topics in the latest knowledge book on young people, social inclusion and digitalization. This time it is about social inclusion of young migrants and refugees and the use of digital tools by those groups of people. My name is Dariusz Grzemne and together with Lana Pasic we are talking with two guests, Daniel Briggs, who wrote an article on the use of WhatsApp by newly arrived refugees in Europe, and Antia Perez-Karames, who reflected on the virtual communities created and used by young Spanish migrants in Europe. So, let's start. So, we are speaking today about Youth Knowledge Book on Social Inclusion, Digitalization and Young People and uh, looking at the particular aspect of uh, social inclusion and digitalization when it comes to young refugees and young migrants in Europe. So we have with us today Antia Perez-Karames and Daniel Briggs, who will be talking about their chapters in the Youth Knowledge Book. And the first one is on WhatsApp refugees, which Daniel wrote. And the second one is on virtual communities and uh, young Spanish migrants in Europe, which was co-written by Antia and uh, some of her colleagues. So maybe we start with Daniel, if you can tell us a little bit about his chapter and what, what were the main findings and also maybe what motivated you to look into this topic. Hi there, thanks so much for inviting me to participate in this. I was very lucky enough to start an unfunded study in 2015, which ran for three years, and in which I interviewed 110 different refugees in 14 different European countries. Um, one of the only reasons I was able to do that study with such a breadth of refugees in different countries was precisely because after meeting some of them in some of those countries, I continued contacting them through social media, in particular WhatsApp. And I think a lot of, you know, there's reason to be concerned about the way the world is moving, uh, you know, digitalization of everything and how it's embedded in our everyday lives and uh, the way we have phones in front of our faces four or five hours a day and all these things. But on the other hand, in these communities, which have to operate, as uh, we can well imagine, in very difficult circumstances, leaving war-torn countries, traveling perilously across borders and starting again in another country, uh, these kind of mediums are fundamental to make decisions to find out things, to get advice. Um, and really, I found WhatsApp to be fundamental to developing my relationships with these people who were extremely mistrustful of authorities, as you can imagine, but also uh, as a way of helping them. Uh, I think as researchers and academics, we should be increasingly obliged to help the people we study. Thank you, Daniel. And Antia, if you would like to introduce your chapter, please. Yeah, thank you, Lana. Uh, so, uh, as you've already said, our chapter is co-authored. So, I think uh, uh, all three of us come from regions within Spain which have a very long migration history and have already experienced previous migration waves. So, when the crisis hit Spain in 2008, we somehow already knew that uh, there will be another wave of immigration. But the 
particular thing about this wave was for us was very striking, the use of social media in order to facilitate their process of migration. It was very striking for us because we already knew migrants from previous waves, particularly from the 50s and 60s, which had to rely on, on relatives and on friends in order to get information on the country of destination and to those someone to help them in their first steps over there. And in this case, they, they just had to join a Facebook group and they access a lot of information and they could even find some friends over there even before leaving. And that's, uh, that's amazing because it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's not only the relevance of weak ties for, for enhancing migration, but it's also the, the huge increase in social capital that this migrant have before even thinking about migrating. So that was one of the main features that struck us at the very first moment. So we decided to, to, to go deep in the analysis of these uh, resources. And, and what we found is that this social media, particularly Facebook, because we concentrate on Facebook, fulfill different functions for these virtual communities and not only, uh, the mere information exchange, but also socialization functions. Looking at your article, Daniel, uh, yeah, I can very easily associate myself with a lot of things that you wrote there. When I look especially at the narrative that was around uh, refugees in Europe and in my country as well, in Poland, and one of the oppressive narrative or arguments used in the oppressive narrative against um, refugees was that, yeah, well, they are not really so poor. They, they have mobile phones with them. They are coming with the mobile phones and why we call them poor, why we should offer them any help. And you said also that the people, individuals who went through a lot of tough times or tough moments and they come here in Europe and probably in the place where they don't know anybody, they don't know the place uh, and so on. And you managed to somehow get in touch with them, build relationship because you stayed with a lot of them in contact uh, on, on WhatsApp. So how do you build a relationship with people who are coming with such a luggage of emotions and experiences as well, not very positive. Well, I mean, first of all, to answer the, the first issue about the, the notion that these people are poor, it's really that kind of perception is located with our perception of them. And we get that more, more traditionally from media or media depictions of uh, what, what refugees look like, you know, just a suitcase or a, a rucksack or something like that. And with only the clothes they're wearing as, you know, that's all they've got. So I think we forget that, you know, these people had homes, they had jobs like us, and really the only difference between us and them is that they're on the wrong side of history and geography, really. They aspire, like we do, to have normal things in life, like a job, a place to live, a family, and a stable future. So it's, it's something that we should reconfigure ourselves and we should remember that in those countries as well you know digital communications exist increasingly on the second point about trust uh it's a good point because obviously um these people come from countries where they lose trust in government there's very it's very difficult to find people to trust the authorities are pretty much the enemies there are people posing as of the authorities who are also enemies so then who do you trust who do you turn to uh, you invest money in paying people that you uh, dubious of, don't trust, 
uh, you lose money, you get beaten, you get victimized. Uh, so over the course of this whole process of leaving a country and traveling and arriving in Europe, it makes people extremely cautious, even to the point that they can't fully open up in interviews about their own asylum application, which jeopardizes their integration in the first place. So obviously it's really difficult from the interim, but when you meet the, these people in the camps uh, where they're going through these things, you have an opportunity because you're not necessarily assigned with the authorities. You present yourself as someone neutral. And the great thing about using WhatsApp and continuing the, the relationship and I was very fortunate to meet some of these people a few times over three years, not just use WhatsApp, is that you can uh, invest your time uh, in building that relationship when you're not physically present. Um, then people would say, well, it's not the same. And it isn't, but at least you can do certain things via WhatsApp, like you can help people look for jobs, you can assist with translating documents. Uh, all these things go in your favor when you're trying to establish some sort of relationship and they're the things that were fundamental to me so obviously there's the vehicle of what's up but also there's the motivation of well no i'm obligated to it's not a one-way process i'm not researching you you tell me everything i'm going to use this vehicle what's up to help you as well as much as you're helping me Thanks, Daniel. I think the issue of trust is a very interesting one, particularly as both chapters in the book were written some time ago before we relied on digital media so heavily. But now we are also raising a lot of questions about uh, the trust and uh, reliance and security of these, of these digital tools. And uh, for me, it would be interesting to hear if uh, this question of trust came up in the tools themselves at all uh, in terms terms of kind of using WhatsApp and using Facebook and uh, really trusting in reliability of the information that is shared through these media. If I can follow on from that, if possible, um, the arena has completely changed uh, since March 2020. That's not to say that those communicative channels uh, weren't using our data, weren't using our information, weren't monitoring us, but the way in which uh, there is the internet has been in general flooded with news coverage, information, misinformation, disinformation, conflicting accounts. Um, uh, it does prompt the question about what is real, how do you trust information, what sources. So this is the reverse of what I was describing. So now you're in a situation where you have a saturated environment of very different levels of information, and suddenly you see digital sort of kingpins monitoring and policing certain comments certain articles certain videos which could jeopardize a central narrative uh so yeah it's a really tricky uh a really tricky situation really i think um, a lot of people are scratching their heads because obviously i think people were using these platforms quite innocently and quite not really questioning what was going on but now i think that there are even more questions about what the purpose of these digital platforms are, have, have in the future. Thank you. And maybe to pose a similar question to Antia, but also in relation to kind of to type of information that is shared through Facebook groups and through these virtual communities. So what are kind of the main issues and the main questions that young people uh, who are migrating are asking or the answers that they're looking for, as well as whether the trust into this information has been raised at all? 
Yes, I think that this issue of the reliability of the information is, is very important. At least for me, I mean, I'm not a, a digital native, so for me it's very striking that someone believes something that's just an answer on a Facebook group. Just why? I mean, you don't even know the person who's answering to you. So it's, it's really very striking. But the, uh, I think we figure out that the, there are some other criteria of reliability instead of knowing the person concretely who is answering to your post. But, for example, that having a lot of answers. So you sometimes build like a, a consensus. So if you have like 10 answers and the 10 are somehow pointing to the same thing, so that must be true. So there's another way of building this reliability. And of course, you will sometimes have to fill in that this issue of, of creating a community somehow equalizes all the people being there and, and recognizes them as somehow equal. So we are all young Spanish migrants abroad. So uh, somehow your experience could be similar to mine. And, and that's a, a good way to, to trust the other person because somehow you identify with the experience that the others live in. And, and this issue is very important and it also happened to create some tensions within the group because it's very important that the community somehow recognize itself as, as a community, which is not that easy because, of course, in Facebook, you don't even know who is behind a certain profile. And it's really a very interesting question. And as for the other part of, of your question, if I, if I may add, you also ask uh, what type of, of information they were seeking. It's very varied and it's very dynamic. There are lots of people asking for a job, for advice on how to get a job and also for apartments to rent, which is very difficult in, in Paris and very expensive. So, of course, they trust their fellow countrymen instead of trusting uh, the, the French uh, <laughs> real estate market. And there are a lot of posts on planning meetups and parties, for example, and on and nostalgia of some Spanish parties and products and and whatever. And, and there are a lot of posts that are debating the Spanish political situation and yeah, yeah many things, really. It's very, I mean, it, it was very funny <laughs> to carry on this research, actually. Yeah. Thanks, Santi. Maybe just to link uh, to what you said about kind of the development of communities uh, within these virtual spaces. And in your chapter, you also explore this question of inclusion and exclusion within these virtual communities. Uh, so maybe if you want to reflect a little bit on that. What determines the level of inclusion and exclusion within these spaces? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think that uh, Spain, of course, during the last, I would say, two decades has changed a lot. And now it has become more diverse. We, we were a country that in the 1990s, we were not receiving large inflows of immigrants. But uh, from, from the last two decades, we have received large numbers of immigrants, some of them have children, and they've been raised here, so we're now a very plural and diverse country. Um, and these people are also part of this new wave of immigrants abroad. So they're autochthonous, but they're also immigrants who are moving to a third country, and they're also descendants of these immigrants to a second generation or 1.5 generation. So there's a very mixed origin community of people that have more direct or indirect link to Spain. There were always issues around who is here and why is here and why he or she should belong here. So um, 
as you, of course, you, you never know who is behind a certain profile. They use certain markers, such as the name in the profile or linguistic markers in order to recognize whether the person who was posting was from a Latin American origin or from a Moroccan origin. And then a huge debate raised on, so what are you doing here? Are you Spanish? Are you not? So this is also very interesting because it somehow shows life, how Spain is also dealing with, with uh, becoming diverse. And you see it live. And it's, it's also very interesting. Of course, it's not absent of prejudices and uh, xenophobic attitudes and undertones and whatsoever. But, but you see how we are, as a community, dealing with this issue of becoming much more diverse. It, it was interesting to see, not very surprising, though, to see that when you describe the community, you also use the notion of uh, imagined community. So use the notion of Benedict Anderson, who actually used it when studying nationalism, which is also, which is interesting. But OK, the notion kind of expanded in the social studies. I was thinking uh, a little bit referring to what, what Lana was saying, because it was very particular about social inclusion. But I can imagine a lot of positive th things that happen in these communities, like you said, support, uh, a little bit kind of dealing with nostalgia and, and like the emotional support. What kind of dangers does it pose? Did you explore it a little bit? Yeah, I have the feeling that in general, there are much more positive than negative aspects. It's much more the help and the support and the assistance and the information and the possibilities of going beyond the people who you already know. And, and even thinking of going abroad, even if you, you haven't planned it before, because so many people join before leaving Spain. So I think that the positive aspects outweigh the negative ones. But of course, there are ne negative ones, such as being questioned on your identity as Spanish and on who you are, and, and also being questioned because maybe your linguistic competence in Spanish is not as good as some, some others, or even your linguistic competence on the language of the destination country is not that good, and you feel discriminated in the virtual community. So there are risks of being discriminated as you have uh, the same risk in an offline community, of course. So I think that we must not mystify the online life, because it has the same tensions, the same conflicts, and the same social cleavages as offline life. So we must be aware that this thing can happen, and there's a lot of, I would say, online harassment too, and online discrimination and, and xenophobia going on, and that sometimes it's very difficult to detect, and, and it's very difficult to establish mechanisms for moderating, because, of course, uh, internet has this flexibility and this uh, freedom and this anonymity to a certain point, and, and it's very difficult to, to control in, in a positive sense. And, that, and that's a challenge, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just, just on the point about online communities, this is slightly separate from perhaps my original chapter contribution, but given that I've been researching the pandemic since March last year, I've um, been in various sort of COVID-19 forums and you know i remember even the first three four months there they swelled with this uh, online presence of people having no other space to debate or protest and very quickly you saw the alternative suggestions or alternative narrows narratives being closed down and um then you saw the springing up new groups where people felt they could be heard and even with them then you saw them being policed and sort of uh, suspiciously monitored. And so the whole atmosphere of the internet and social media communications at the moment is, is very difficult. We also had that thing recently with WhatsApp who wanted to 
relaunched there a, a sort of specific update which could contravene privacy data. So a lot of people moved to Telegram. So I think the whole pandemic issue amplified people's awareness and about these sort of big data mediums. Thank you. The book is about young people, digitalization and social inclusion. So I just have to ask this question, how these digital tools or digitalization supports the inclusion of immigrants and refugees? Um, I guess I'll go first. Perhaps the population of people I was researching uh, quite different to uh, Andia uh, in the way that they're much more precarious. Um, they don't necessarily come with that uh, idea of where they're going. Uh, it's not necessarily planned. So the uh, forums like uh, WhatsApp serve to make decisions on, on where they can go and things like that. And unfortunately, the frequency of people changing numbers and identities is, is quite high in these uh, communities. So it makes it very difficult for uh, people to bond. Even in some of the refugee camps where I did visit, you could almost see quite segregated areas of the camps where people have tried to look for people of their own or people from the same culture or religion. Um, but the circumstances under which they had to do those things were, were very complicated. Obviously, you know, sometimes they would only be in the camps for a few days, a few months, and in some cases years. So it doesn't really, it really contravenes the opportunity to build uh, that that level of trust. And I often found uh, that um, those refugees that were more successful often tended to be a lot younger going to um, countries where there was more economic opportunity. Um, and unfortunately, the, that was just a handful. The majority of people I, uh, I was researching really fell through the nooks and crannies of democratic European societies. And, you know, I found them kicking about in these sort of really obscure you know, camps where nothing, there was no real order or no real sense of uh, feeling of community. Certainly the Calais jungle is a classic example of how everyone is basically out for themselves and, you know, looking for every opportunity to try and get to the UK. And um, they have to kind of almost falsely invest a bit of trust to uh, find out, you know, which lorry is going when or which boat might leave and if there's an opportunity. And so it's it's very difficult. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but the few people that I did get to know that, that did become settled, they face even more barriers in the sort of labour market and economic and social life, given that the climate of Europe is increasingly right-wing and um, there's... Uh, perceived threats that these new people will take away uh, opportunities for host uh, communities. Uh, so it's a very complex situation. Yes, as, as Daniel said, I think we are working with, with different communities. And, and in my case, of uh, the migratory process was not as precarious as in Daniel's uh, case, of course. But, I mean, we somehow understand that social inclusion has something to do with uh, with promoting a certain well-being and a certain dignity, I mean, something related to having a job and or to having a, an adequate place to live and to have some uh, a group of friends to have a beer with or to support you when you're feeling homesick, and and that's what what this Facebook community deals with. So I think they promote this social inclusion by by spreading information, by providing support, 
and also by, by, by advocating because they also um, share political claims on the rights of Spaniards abroad. So I think these are all objectives that go for, for a broader understanding of social inclusion and for the well-being of this community abroad. Okay, thank you, Antia. Thank you, Daniel, for this for your input, for this conversation. Again, the, we are encouraging our, our listeners to, to go to the book on young people's social inclusion and digitalization, and especially to chapter 9 and chapter 11, where you will find the articles uh, that were written by our guests today. Thanks, that's all for today. And uh, we're probably going to introduce the next chapter very, very soon. Thank you. Thank you.